Hello, Silvertown. Welcome to the Silvertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. And as always, I want to mention silvertownpodcast.com, where we have sober toolboxes, sober discussions, plenty of tools to help you get sober. And the IAS app, where the I Am Sober app, where I got sober. And this morning, we have with us Wingy, Winged Victory, a.k.a. Wingy, who is the founder of Be Musings, where there's amazing articles about, about sobriety, getting sober, how to get sober, if you want to get sober, all the different things as you're getting sober, uh, different timelines as you're getting sober, mindsets, you just have everything in there. Everything, yeah, everything. lots of stuff. Yeah. I looked on there today. So there's 227 pages with an average of four articles per page in there, which puts it over 900 articles that has to be just on Bemusings alone. And that's not even counting because you're also the owner creator of Boom Rethink the Drink. Which is a vibrant private community post and blog. And I'm sure there are tens of thousands of posts in there. You know, it's it's very active. So. We just went to find one of her, something that she just put up this morning and we had to scroll because people are active in their posting this morning. So it's a great community. And this is, you know, a lot about getting sober is what we're going to be talking about this morning and how you got sober was changing your mind. And you did that through posting, correct? I did. And I didn't realize what I was doing at the time, um, which is the most interesting thing about it. We're going to talk about neuroplasticity. Do you mind if I just throw that in there? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Because it's my favorite. It's my favorite topic. And I didn't realize when I joined the community that I joined back in 2015, uh, that neuroplasticity was what I was going to be evolving as I, as I stopped drinking. So it's interesting because I think that sometimes people think that you read a book like Mark Lewis's biology of desire. And that's sort of um, if you read that, it should be kind of a guidebook for how to, how to get sober, how to stay sober. But it's, it's quite the, you know, quite the opposite. I think I read it when I was eight months sober and I realized while I was reading it, that, you know, everything that he was talking about in the book had been happening in my brain. And um, it was, it was quite exciting to, read it articulated as beautifully as he articulates it is it's his research um, that he shares in that book and the the process of blogging which is what booze musings and boom rethink the drink are based on and what the system that i used when i stopped drinking was based on the process of blogging encourages you as you're going through each day of learning how to live in a new way to express what you're feeling, to express what you're thinking, to express what you're experiencing, and to kind of affirm the positive and work through the negative and discard it. And in doing that, um, in a community of people where you're, you know, you're really interacting in a positive way and supporting each other, um, the process of neuroplasticity, where you're rewiring your brain away from the addictive patterns into a a new way of of being um, becomes really vibrant. But I didn't realize that was what I was doing when I signed up for Hello Sunday Morning, where I started blogging. 
I had no idea. You didn't really realize that you had neurons, synapses. You were building pathways that alcohol had built a really powerful pathway. You didn't realize any of that when you decided to get sober. No, I was just being social. (laughs) But none of us realize this. And we're not even taught this, Wingy. We're not even taught that whatever activities we're in, we're, uh, we're building pathways, whether it's type ways, you, you're a musician, you've built yes, many pathways. You know, and I'm glad you mentioned that right at that moment. Um, like I said, I had hoped to do a little bit of research before we started today to get the names of a couple of books and authors. And I didn't have a chance because I'm painting fences to put up in my garden for my puppy to retrain her neural pathways away from the flowers. Um, but there is a book that I, that I bought for my husband many years ago. Um, I believe it's called, this is your brain on music. And it talks about neuroplasticity in a different way. And one of the things that this book talks about is that when we're teenagers and we're at that, that age where we're very um, kind of physically uh, vibrant and intense and, you know, growing and evolving and, and just, you know, full of hormones and, and the music that we're listening to at that age, when we're very physically um, intense is imprints itself in our brain in a different sort of way um, than music that we listen to later. And one of the reasons that you have the reactions that you do when you listen to the music that you were when you were a teenager is that physicality that was combined with the the development of your neural pathways at that age. It's fascinating. And it has nothing to do with sobriety. It's about um, just neuroplasticity. I can't remember the name of the author, but we can look it up. Well, I love looking at all stuff brains regardless if it is with addiction or not but there's a lot of science coming out right now that specifically is pointing with with neuroplasticity addiction neuroscience addiction neuroscience addiction 101 there's how the dopamine is affecting the limbic system all these things that are going on but for those that don't know neuroplasticity in the brain neuro means brain plasticity means change and it means our brains are moldable that they change and mm-hmm. they actually change they thought it once we got a certain age that our brains would stop changing yes but and they found out that's not true our brains are constantly changing and they're finding out like with addiction with addiction you actually lose a lot of these synapses are the gray matter in your brain these connections. So like you have neurons, there's like 86 billion neurons in your brain. And then each neuron has around 7,000 connections per neuron. So you end up with trillions of connections in your brain. And they found out with addiction, when you addictive behavior, uh, habitual behavior, where you're focusing on one thing, you start losing gray matter and other parts of your mind where you're not focusing is yeah here's the cool thing when people are getting sober they're with all this new technology and the lasers and everything with the neuroplasticity they're seeing that people these areas that they lost they're not only come growing back they're growing back stronger so it's that was my favorite part of mark lewis's book was that the the frontal lobe um the part of our brain that that is um, focused on problem solving becomes more because more active, it becomes bigger. It becomes more resilient 
in recovery, if you recover in a way that is positive, proactive, active, you know, um, not necessarily, not necessarily if, if you stop drinking and you kind of live in this cloud of resentment about the whole thing and, and you never get to the point where you, you see it as an adventure and feel it as an adventure. I, I think that that does not happen to the same degree. Uh, what the thing that I remember about Mark Lewis's book was, you know, the, the profiles that he did of the different people and how they, how they recovered from their addictions and the process that happened in their brain. But each, each one of those people um, in recovery focused on something that was positive, proactive, um, whether it was, you know, supporting others in recovery or education or study. Um, and it was, it was interesting to read about, you know, how important it is to, to give your brain something else to focus on as opposed to just, tunnel vision i won't drink but you know you give it something else to chew on i also liked how he talked about when we started drinking how all of a sudden our mind was focused so much on the drinking that we started building these neurons these connections started forming like little villages then cities then like and they would light up like new york city when you started thinking about drinking so eventually that took all of your focus and then going to the park with your kids or doing things with your family, all this, because we weren't focused on those things. They started falling off to the side and that's how the brain, he talks about that's like the frontal lobe is like goal setting. And that's how we're created to goal set to survive It's survival mode kind of. Yeah. And it's just fascinating that here we were in our addiction and that was the trap, right? All of a sudden, yeah. it, it consumed us, and it is the only thing that we could ha- see to have fun. You know, it's a wonderful book. There, a, a lot of times, people will say that that it's too complicated, it's too scientific. Um, but I found it, I found it really enjoyable to read, and it was so inspiring, and it was it really exciting to understand what was happening because I could feel it happening, but I, you know, I couldn't put. I couldn't define it and he defined it. And I think it's such an important book to read. I'm sure there are others as well that was published back in 2015. I'm sure there's been quite a bit published since then. I think it was published in 2015. It was relatively new. And he made it, he made it a lot of fun. Yeah. He's got a, a really great sense of humor. And whenever you profile people, you know, different people and their experiences, it's, it's more interesting to read about the science through the experience of different people. It is. And our, our brains with this neuroplasticity, a lot of it, we're going to, we're going to get what we're focusing on. Yeah. And then getting back to what you were talking about with the recovery, with that area growing more mass, it's getting stronger, which tells us, and those old pathways that were there that we created with the habit of drinking, they're still there. They haven't gone anywhere, mm-hmm. but they've degenerated they're not as powerful anymore. And this new, these new areas that we've been focusing on in our recovery, they're stronger than that old one. And that's why I personally don't have really cravings anymore at all. No, I don't either, but I'm going to ask you a question because I think you've read, you've read uh, the biology of desire more recently than I have, it sounds like. And I think that, that you've read a lot more about neuroplasticity than I have, because I, I went off in a different direction and started focusing mm-hmm. on 
the blogging and the community building and, and that sort of thing, rather than continuing to read um, the books that I was reading. Um, if the neural pathways start to degenerate, the neural pathways that were that were forged in the addiction, if someone relapses, this is a question that people ask all the time. And it's, it's the kind of thing that's difficult to get an absolute answer to. If someone has a drink and they're seven years sober, there seems to be something about seven years that's really tricky. I'm in year seven now. Um, I've read so many vivid stories of people who got complacent and had a glass of champagne at a wedding or something like that in their seventh year or their eighth year sober, and then found themselves spiraling down into this just intense relapse. If those neural pathways have degenerated, why is that? Because it would, it would seem that they're, if that happens, they're very much still there. They are there. They're degenerated. This, the synaptical connections that they had, they, they used to be very powerful with lots of neurons, lots of connections. And as we focused our minds on, in another direction into recovery, they lost strength. But there, it's like you're, you with your music, you could never unlearn what you've learned with your music. You built those pathways and you may go for years without playing an instrument and it won't take you long to pick up that instrument again to play it because you, those pathways are there. Somebody yeah. that, somebody that types and they haven't typed for years, they can sit down and they can go right back to typing and it won't take long for them to eventually pick up where they left off because we have like muscle memory that's in our brain too. And all of these neurons, synapses, they know where to go and they will, our brains will just start like, can, they'll start building little villages and cities of neurons and, and they'll go right back to where they were. So when you take, take that drink, you've literally resurrected that demon that you were able to put away. And that's why AA has this once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic type thing. They could never mm -hmm. really figure it out, but these are pathways that are in the brain. You can't remove them. They've even tried to use like in 1930s, we're trying to use lobotomies. Oh but yes. These, right. So and shock therapy, <laughs> shock treatments. Yeah. Once these pathways are made and it, it's not just uh, with addiction, it's with everything. It's tying your shoelaces. Maybe you wear sandals for the next 20 years, but you sit down to tie your shoes again. It, you're going to, going to know exactly how to do it. That pathway is still there. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting though, because yeah, there's, it's one thing to have learned something and then voluntarily return to it because you decide to do so. It, it, it's another thing. If you don't, if you, if you're seven years or eight years sober and you have a drink and and you feel that uh, desire to continue again, which you didn't haven't felt for a long time because everything's quieted down in your brain. And it comes back so vividly that you can't stop. You know, that's, um, that's something that I don't completely understand. About. I, was, I was sober nine years. Yes, you had, yeah. My brother died. I went back to drinking. And it didn't take long at all. I don't know where I stepped over that fine line but then it, it went from weekends to every day until where I was back in the trenches in the last three years of getting sober, 
I could not stop. I couldn't make it home from work because it consumed me. And this is what I've learned from that. Whether we like it or not, we don't have a key to our subconscious. So we can't remove those pathways. Yeah. And it's, the, it's the way our, our brain is built to where we can pick up with almost anything that we've ever done because these are they're built in our subconscious. And even with our subconscious and our conscious, they explain our subconscious is a million times more powerful. We can process 40 million bytes of data per second in our subconscious. Our conscious can only process 40 bytes of data per second. So this subconscious is very powerful. It's an elephant inside of our head and we don't have a key to it to remove these, I would call them corrupt pathways. Anything that causes this problem, I would call it a, a corrupt pathway. And all we can do is like silence it with stronger pathways that we put around it yeah. to like duct tape it up. But regardless, it's there. And as long as we're alive. I like the idea of duct, take, duct, duct taping it up. That's really good. Yeah, yeah I, I think I of my attic voice like that, like I've, I've taken my attic voice and it's alive in me. And I but you've wrapped it in duct tape. <laughs> and there are, there are moments where it tries to resurrect itself. But I've trained my mind so well that now if it does try it, I recognize it and I'm able to just squash it back down. And that's another thing. People are like, oh, my gosh, I'm like three years sober and I'm still having these thoughts. Well, you will because you have a corrupted pathway that's always going to be there. Yeah, it's going to pop up for air. Um, remember, you need this. So let me ask you another question, if that's okay. Sure. The first time that you were sober, you were, what was the technique that you used to stop drinking and stay sober? Act. Act. Because I used that to fight my cravings and I learned that from Annie Grace. The first time I used act, I was on my way home. I got this craving. I could feel it. You know how you feel it in your body, just the pressure, the anxieties. I'm coming yeah. up on the liquor store. I'm getting close to home. I could feel it just, just consuming me. And I, I'm like, okay, that, what did I read? Act by Annie Grace. Okay. Where? Okay. I'm having a craving and I'm thinking this through. I'm having a craving. Now, what do I do? Okay. Clarify it. How am I feeling? My heart's racing. I'm really feeling anxious. My brain's telling me, my brain was playing the movie forward with me of me walking into that, that store, buying my beer. So I'm driving and my brain is playing it's the movie. Planning. It's planning the crime. Yeah. It is. And I'm and seeing that's releasing it. dopamine. You get excited. You think, yes. Yeah. 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 And then I, the third part of that is turn it around. So what my, the movie, my brain was playing to me. I started turning my brain around. Oh no, brain. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. So I'm using my conscious right now and I'm in, I'm in the arena right now. That's what I call it. The, the oh arena. yes. Yeah. This is, this is literally a moment I'm in the arena and I'm fighting myself. My subconscious wants to take me in that store. I don't want to go. So I start my own movie up and I start playing it. Well, if I take that, if I go in and buy that beer, it's not going to be just one because my brain's telling me, Oh, just you have that one. And I'm going to relieve the anxiety that you're feeling right now. It's creating this, the anxiety and it's going to relieve my anxiety. And I'm catching on to this and I'm driving and I'm like, no, if I have that one beer, I'm going to have, I, I'm not going to stop there. And then I'm going to be in a blackout and then I'm going to wake up and my wife's going to be crying. I'm going to be wondering what I've said to her. And then I'm going to look at my phone and see how 
I blew everybody's phone up that night because uh, I went on a blackout rampage. And then I'm going to be feeling like I want to die. Like every morning I woke up for the last three years, wanting, wanting, wanting to die, literally thinking of suicide for the last three years. I played all that out through my mind, even to where I'm on my way to work. I get to work and I fall sideways in my truck, just five more minutes of sleep. I'm so exhausted. And then trying to work all night long, uh, driving, it was just horrible. And then all that day, and I thought this, I played this movie forward in my mind, exactly all of this, driving all that night and then planning, okay, when I get home or when I got off work in the morning, I just won't do this, which I've said to myself a thousand times. You know what? By the time I got done playing that first movie in my head, wingy, I was pulling in my driveway. I made it past the liquor store. I don't even remember the drive home from there. I was pulling in my dr driveway and I got so excited. I was like ecstatic. Wow. I made it home. And I got usually when I would get home without buying beer, the next two to three hours, it would just like be overbearing to where my wife would say, just go, go get your beer, get out of here. Yeah. But I was so happy that I made it home, that I found a technique that I made at home. I didn't drink that day. That was that first Good. day. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was also distraction. Because by playing the tape forward in such a active way, thinking through everything, you know, you're distracting yourself. Um, well, I, I think that we did something similar to that um, with writing to each other because you know we talk we talk about play the tape forward, um, and we do that actively pretty much every day, just with the posting that we do. Uh, we might do it in the morning, we might do it in the afternoon, we might do it in the evening, but you talk about why you're not drinking, why, what's good about your life, you know, how your life is progressing, the difficult things you're working through. And in the process of doing that, you're playing the tape forward and also playing it backward at the same time. And it's distracting. It distracts you from the desire to drink in the well, beginning. Let me, let me tell you something about what you just said too, though. You're you're being specific about what you're distracting. Okay. Mm -hmm. A lot of people aren't being specific about what they're distracting. They're distracting themselves on a bike ride. They're just trying to ignore and push sure. away. Right. Yeah. Here's what your writing does and what your communities do. And these other communities do when what you're being specific, you're focusing on your, your addiction. So you're being specific. That's where the power is at because we get these thoughts we can just, these thoughts can overrun us. But if you take one thought at a time as it's coming at you and you're specific with that thought, you have the power to think it through. So a lot of this. Absolutely. And it doesn't pile up. It doesn't, you know, you work, you evolve it, you work it through as you're living. Like the big thought, I can never drink again. I had that thought. I used to have that thought. Oh, oh sure. Absolutely. I can never drink again. So I started training myself. My mind would think, Oh, you can never drink again. And I would tell my mind, I, I have conversations with my mind. I would tell my mind, but I don't want to drink again. Why would I want to drink? I don't want to go back there. And I, I, every time I remind, remind my mind, why? I don't think a lot of people understand we have two thinking systems. We have the conscious that's processed 40 bytes a second of data. And we have the subconscious that processes 40 billion bytes a second. It's, it's seeing things and hearing things and 
recognizes things and going through files that you and I have no idea what it's even doing. It's a, it's just incredible. Yeah. yeah. Which is, which is why I think that it's really important for people to abstract this, you know, in all the many different ways that, that we abstract it, you abstract it with the idea of act. Um, some people abstract it with the idea of a, of a feast beast, like they talk about in rational recovery, where you've got um, the, the degenerate or the, the negative neural pathways in your brain are, are actually, you know, turned into a beast of some kind, um, like Wolfie or the wine witch or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I think that if you, if you can abstract what's going on in your brain in some way, um, it's easier to stick with it day in and day out. I, I actually have an attic voice that I picture that looks like a little evil gremlin. You have right? a gremlin. I have a little black dragon. Do you? Yeah. And that's my little black dragon me. is sleeping over here, right behind my ear. <laughs> cool. Cool. Sound asleep. Yeah. It's always there. I can feel it, but it's sound asleep. And uh, yeah. I imagine my little, my little gr- evil gremlin all day duct taped up, pissed off that it can't get out <laughs> causing havoc because yeah. what, if it wants to, it can. But, but you get it all. I love the, I love the image of a little gremlin all wrapped up with duct tape. That's perfect. He's yeah, contained, and, he's controlled. And not yeah. only that, I've put him in in uh, in a still cage, soundproof still cage, oh, and perfect. locked him away in my mind. Yeah, perfect. Yep. Yeah, that's but, good be also because it's your visualization. It belongs to you. You know, it really is yours. And it's we all can we all can do that. I've written a lot about the attic voice because I, you know, I didn't even know what it was until I heard about cognitive think, thinking through Annie Grace. And then I got into Craig Beck and, you know, Alan Carr. I went all down that way. Eventually, Mark Lewis, Brene Brown. There's, I've, I've got into other authors, too, that are just amazing. But I've got more into the mind because, to me, that's the arena. That's where the battle happens. It doesn't happen to my legs. It happens in my mind. It's not just an emotion or, or a couple of people that I need to make amends to. The battle's up here in my mind. Well, just like cognitive dissonance goes. Consciously, I don't want to do it. Unconsciously, this elephant wants to do it. It's where the battle goes on, but it's, it's also where the blossoming happens. It is. So, you know, you're in control of how you perceive your life. And how you perceive your life is how you live your life. So for me, the battle is a long time ago and I, I fought it hard, you know, and I, I, I beat it. The dragon is sleeping. The dragon's still in there, but the dragon is sleeping, you know? Um, And once the dragon was sound asleep and that was about 18 months, two years, somewhere between 18 months and two years. Then for me, you know, the most exciting part of this whole thing has been, the blossoming and which started in like the third year and just my my brain is just really activated all the time and i'm just constantly learning new things i learn really quickly now i absorb things really quickly um and it's exciting it's it's a very different sort of way of being in my mind than i was when i stopped drinking i was 50 when i stopped drinking and now i'm 58 um Congratulations. And that's thank you. That's amazing. You. I'm 57. <laughs> Numbers are not a big deal to me. I'm 58. Um, I'm somewhere <laughs> between 58 and 57. I, can't I was born in 1964. Um, but 
my my mind is is more vibrant and more um, active than it was in my 40s. And that's a result of the way that I've not just stopping drinking, but the way that I've approached recovery and the focus on the discovery of it, which Mark Lewis also talks about is, you know, recovery as discovery. Um, I, that resonates with me absolutely because it is, it is discovery and it's so exciting. You know, it's just really, if you allow it to be so, if you, if you focus on how you're growing and how you're evolving, um, it's thrilling. No, so Wendy, I, I think there's a process that happens. Like that day that I got, I was so excited that I made it home. That that was a life-changing yeah. moment for me, right? And I get to live like that every day now. I get to be yeah. that excited every day that I get to wake up and I, I get to wake up and I'm sober. Those are affirmations and gratitude things that I keep in my mind every single day. I, I saw a transformation happen where I knew that I wasn't battling the addict voice anymore. Then all of a sudden, I started getting bombarded with emotions. I've got a lifetime of emotions that I've never dealt with. Yeah. So I started working through some of the emotions. And then at 11 months sober, I realized I'm doing the same things as I was when I was drinking. All I did is take the alcohol away, and I'm acting the same way mm-hmm. with, the, with hypomania. Somebody says something, I don't like it, and I just go through the roof. Yeah, That's the beauty of recovery is I've been able to see these things and now I'm working. I've been able to work through my emotions. I I'd never had any emotional regulation. I would go from zero to a hundred in seconds, even without the alcohol. Do you think that that's something that has naturally happened as a result of recovery? Or do you think that that is something that you specifically worked toward? It's something I've specifically worked towards. How? I've got online. I've studied, I've read, I've dove into podcasts, YouTube. Here's what happens if you don't do this stuff. You end up like a dry drunk. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, it, I, haven't, I haven't seen that often, but I, I have seen it a few times with, with people who just really, they kind of stay in this place of resentment that they can't drink and they get stuck there and they can't find their way out of that. And eventually they just, you know, go back to drinking and, yeah. When you start learning who you are, who your ex- authentic self is, you just aren't going to trade that. And then alcohol becomes irrelevant. You know, alcohol is actually irrelevant in my life. This, yeah. Today's I'm waking up. How can I be a better person? How can I, who is my ex- authentic self? Today, I want to be honest with myself. Solitude. I'm thriving in solitude. I could be by myself and just be happy. And Back to neuroplasticity. My brain has learned all this. Look, I've got, I'm 58 years old. I've led a life of chaos and destruction. Were you born in 1964? Three. Okay, so I'm 57. <laughs> I'll let yeah. you do the numbers. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was, so I'm 58 years old. I've been in recovery since I was 14. My first, the, well, that's the first time I was put into recovery. I've been through three inpatient rehabs. Two outpatient rehabs. I can't even tell you how many thousands of uh, 12-step program, AACA, all of that that I've been through. And none of it's worked. I've had periods in my life where I've had two years, six months, then nine years. I had that nine years. I've never, during those other times, Wingy, I never, ever dove into my sobriety 
I just existed. Okay, I'm sober and I yeah. made my amends. I'm cool to go now. Oh, I'm, I'm helping this person out over here. But I never dove into myself. And even the nine years that I was sober, I got out of prison and I got involved with helping other convicts, you know, when they're getting out of prison, it was a, boot, it was a, a Christian boot camp, is what it was. And I was involved with them for seven years. And even then I never focused on me. So when my brother died, I, I had no foundation. And that's it, fascinating because, you know, that's the thing that the blogging does. Long time ago, I was trying to think of topics for posts when I first started um, booze musings. And I was going to write a post called my narcissistic recovery. And I thought this would be really good because narcissism is a big keyword right now. So, you know, that'll be good for good for keywords because everyone's talking about narcissism. But the thing is, I I never did write the post because I didn't have time. But I remember the title because it it really meant a lot to me. Um, if, If I were to look at what we do and the people who do it the most effectively, it could look very narcissistic because the people that I've seen do this over the years who have the the best result from it are the ones who really focus on their own story. They keep writing, they stay in there, they keep talking about what they need to talk about and they support other people. That's a really important part of it. You know, they read other people's posts, they support other people. But the first focus every day is I'm going to say what I need to say. I'm going to talk about what I need to talk about. Not because you want lots of people to read your post and like it and say you're wonderful and stuff like that. Just because you need to write, you need to get it out. You need to talk about your stuff. And in a way, it's narcissistic, you know, it's, it, it's narcissistic is such an extreme word. It's an exaggeration, but it is, you know, used so much. Um, it's, it's very focused on self. And I think that one of the things that we do when we're addicted and especially with alcohol is we kind of drink ourselves away. We, we drink away our voice. We drink away our power. We drink away our identity. We drink away our self-respect. We drink away our self-esteem and, I found it kind of the opposite of what I expected. I expected when I stopped drinking that I was going to have to go to AA. And I expected that to be a very sort of humbling kind of, um, I, I don't want to say shameful experience, but I, I expected it to be something where I, I was made to feel that I had behaved in a shameful way and that that would be the focus of the meetings and, and that I would be in the process of kind of accepting the um importance of feeling humble you're, you're because of your trillions of character defects yes <laughs> that didn't that didn't appeal to me at all although i would have done it if i had been in a different situation i just i couldn't do it here because there's only one aa group and it met at the church that i had been teaching sunday school at i just couldn't do it it's a very small community so um So what I did end up doing was exactly the opposite about that than that, because we, what we do in, in our, our blogging is you celebrate yourself, you celebrate your accomplishments, you celebrate, you know, you don't even have to talk about sobriety all the time. A lot of us don't use the word sobriety. And um, oftentimes the most interesting posts are very abstract. They're not about why I didn't drink today or, you know, they're about life. Um, And it's about celebrating yourself. And for me, the whole process of the neuroplasticity has a lot to do with the focus on 
self in a really positive way, as opposed to numbing yourself and denying yourself and repressing yourself, you're celebrating yourself. And that's been an extraordinary experience for me and continues to be. It's the reason that I continue to be excited about this as opposed to just feeling like, oh, blah, 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 sobriety. <laughs> well, when you look at what we've done to ourselves, we've hammered ourselves, you know, all those times waking up and shame, guilt, and remorse down ourselves, yeah. down ourselves. Here's the cool thing I found about these communities. We're able to write about life. Mm-hmm. We're able to, we're living now. We're not dying. We're alive. We're living. This is how I got through that. And for me, it's hard to tell everybody exactly what I've done without explaining what I've done for myself. Yeah. But not only that, a couple of posts isn't going to fix 58 years of chaos that, that I've reigned in my life. No, I have, I have six kids and I wasn't a father to one of them growing up. Right. Really? Yes. Oh, we have, shame. Ten, we have 10 grandkids. Well, now I get at least you get to I, be grandpa. But even then, I don't I don't live in regret that I've got six amazing kids. They're they're all self-starters. They all think for themselves. Everybody's healthy. Now I'm in there. My, in fact, my my oldest son has 61 days sober today. Oh, fantastic. Great. Yeah. But there's a lot of things that I've done in my life. There's a lot of things that I could I could live in resentments and shame the and rest shame. of my life. Yeah. But I choose yeah. not to. I choose to live. I've only, I don't know how many years I have left, but I wake up every morning and I'm grateful because now when we have the kids or the grandkids or if anybody's around, I'm present, I'm there. And I I love it. Yeah. And acknowledging that in a really active way makes it that much more vital for you. And I can write about it Mm -hmm. in whatever community I'm in. And even with the struggles, because we struggle daily. You know, I'm having these thoughts or I'm angry today or I get consumed by this anger and we're able to work through this writing down our posts. Then we have amazing people that come in and uh, comment to us mm-hmm. that give us these great ideas how to get out of our mess. Or simply support and saying, great, good for or you. Just, or just a heart sign that they've, they've heard me. Yeah, yeah, which is, which is very significant. What I was wondering actually when I asked you the first question was the first time that you were in recovery. Well, you know, I think you already answered it. Actually, the first, the first time that you were in recovery, you didn't have the experience that you've had now with understanding the neuroplasticity, but even more feeling it. The only thing I ever understood about recovery my whole life was these 12 steps. Yeah. That's that's all I've known. Nobody told me I had two thinking systems. Nobody told me I had cognitive dissonance that I had a war going on in my mind. And so what was your perception of why you were drinking or why you had been addicted? Was your perception that you were an alcoholic and it was a, a brain disease and it was a flaw somehow in you? Well, no, I just, I, when I was two years old up at my grandfather's ranch, they used to give me beer and laugh at me falling down. Oh God. Right. At two years, my mom would be just furious. I remember oh. these big bonfires. I even remember feeling sick. Uh, because I was so messed up back at that age. I remember that, those feelings. Wow. I remember falling down by a ditch when I was really young. Not only that, we're trained, we're in the matrix, Wingy. 
we're brought yeah. up to where this is the cool thing to do. I had a lot of trauma in my life, you know, like being uh, attempted molested when I was five years old and then a stepdad that beat me for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's a lot of trauma in my life. Yeah. Then yeah. in and out of jails that probably make Al- Alcatraz look like a summer camp. Yeah. I've got PTSD stacked on PTSD stacked on PTSD. You had a full deck of cards. <laughs> and alcohol, drugs, and it, that's what I did through my life. It's just yeah. who, who I'd become. Yeah. I always tried to get out of it. My brother, too. And he he ended up dying in it. So did he die of an overdose? He did. Yeah, well, we talked about that. No, he died. He died exactly how he told me he would die in a rehab in Boise, Idaho. He went back in 2009. We, I was doing the Christian thing. We got in a big fight because he wasn't towing the line. I threw him out of my house. He went back to Idaho in 2011. He died. And he always told me, I'm going to die in this this detox center. I know it. So he went in there. He was detoxing. They gave him two different antidepressants. And somewhere that night, he died. But oh, in, the, wow. in the end, it was addiction that killed him. And my mom lives a block away from this facility that she has to see every day uh, if she goes out. <sighs> so he died and I started drinking. But he was with me back during the years when I was doing the Christian boot camp thing. And yeah, and he was down on the streets with me when I would, you know, I was carrying a cross and we were feeding the homeless. And I, so I knew what it was to give back. Yeah. He was, and all I wanted to do once I'd start, once I activated that old pathway and then it consumed me, all I wanted to do was stop drinking so I could get back in the fight. So this time around, you did it instead of going the traditional 12 step way, you did it with with books. You did it with Annie Grace and Ellen Carr and Mark Lewis. And I crawled um, into a community called I Am Sober. So that's where you started with I Am Sober. Okay. A community. And that's why the communities, I think, are number one. Oh, they're huge. Yeah, that's how, that's what I did, too. I crawled into a community called Hello Sunday Morning. And is I Am Sober like what we do in Boom? Is it just posting and... It is. It's exactly what you guys do with posting, but you have a, you have a really neat setup where you can bring outside links in and stuff like they don't have any of that. It's just texting. There's no copy pasting any of that, but it's still a community. It's people commenting. So it's just not as, as visually vivid. There's, there aren't the images and the links and and that kind of stuff. You get one picture you can put on whatever topic that you're going to post on. Okay. All right. It's real, real basic. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds similar to, to Hello Sunday Morning back in 2015. You could put one image in a post. Um, I think you could share links. I didn't know how to do that at the time. <laughs> but they're broke down into day zero, day one, day two, day three. Yeah. Day seven, then double digits. I think I'm at 600 days right now. And they're okay. All right. Yeah. So, but the community is where I knew I had a chance. Then I even relapsed the first, I relapsed twice. And the second relapse, I drunk text back into the community. And I woke up the next morning, guilt, shame, remorse, the whole works thinking, this is my last chance I have to get sober. If I blow it here, I might as well just go put a gun in my head. Cause what else do I have? COVID was there. There's no inpatient rehabs or anything like that. This was yeah. June 2nd of 2020. And then this 
this lady kept running around talking about Annie Grace, this naked mind. And that day from my relapse, I got the audio book. I put it in my truck and I drove all night and listened to it. And as soon as she mentioned cognitive dissonance about the, the two wars, it clicked in my mind. Good. And I, oh my yeah. gosh. It, and right then you know, that I knew. happened. That happened for me with, um, with Belle from tired of thinking about drinking at the beginning, you know, I read, I read the first hundred days of her blog and she talks about, she talks about cognitive dissonance in a different way. She talks about Wolfie, you know, using the, the legend of the, the white wolf and the dark wolf, the good wolf and the bad wolf. Right. Um, and it's, it's also, you know, cognitive dissonance. It's just a different, a different way of, of talking about it. And that was really, I remember it was really powerful for me. That was the thing that got me through those first three weeks. It was just vital to me. And that's the cool, you know, if you can get through the first days, the first few weeks, and then start learning about, about addiction, and then you start stepping into the recovery and you start having wins. And then all of a sudden people start trusting you again. And yeah, you, you start building your reputation back and you're not waking up wanting to die every morning. And, you know, all these, there's so many gifts of sobriety. I just can't even name them. Let me tell you something real quick that happened to my son yesterday on his 60, uh, 60 days. He was going to go hella, hella skiing and it was too windy and they couldn't do the helicopter. So he went to another ski resort and he saw one of his friends had died last year from cancer. He was a young man. He, he drank and he died of cancer. I don't know if it was colon erectile or whatever. He died of cancer and he, my son had told him, I will be there for your son. Well, my son hasn't been because he's been drinking. And he got to that second ski resort and this child yelled out his name and he went over and he was with his buddies, but he went over and started talking to the kid. He left his buddies to go skiing by themselves and went out and hung out with his kid whose dad had died of cancer all day long at the ski resort. Good. That's right there a gift of sobriety because yeah. had he been drinking he would have been with the fellas no way he would have left his buddies yeah right <laughs> yeah. these are the yeah. gifts that you get when you quit drinking just like this so now that he's sober he gets to do what he said he was going to do a long time ago yeah and give, he gets give to back fulfill to his promises to himself and yeah and that's those are gifts of sobriety yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I love talking to you. I mean, we can I love talk, talking to you too. Start out about like neuroplasticity, and we get to go all over the place. It's just like, if, look, I have not had time to study anything really, and every time I do anything with you, it's just off the cuff. Let's just do this and have fun. Well, you need to go take your blood test so that you can have your coffee. I know. Yeah, I know because that's I mean, really important. And we've done an hour. So cool. it's a good time for you to go do your blood test so you can have your coffee. Tell everybody about your community again. Oh, my community is called Boom Rethink the Drink. And you can find us by searching www.boomrethinkthedrink.com or just Boom Rethink the Drink. We're on the Mighty Networks platform, which will provide you with an app that you can be in touch with us on your mobile device. And it is free to join. Uh, as long as you follow our regulations, we are happy to have you and um, would enjoy. It, it, it's also desktop, which is really cool. Too. Oh, yeah. The desktop is great. Yeah. Because when, like when, in 
I am sober. We don't have that. We just have the mobile device. Oh, you just have the app. Okay. Yeah. The desktop is great because occasionally there will be problems with the app and then you can use the desktop desktop version either on your phone or on your computer, but the desktop version is great for writing. Really. If you want to write a long post with lots of images and stuff like that, it's nice to have the desktop. And I, I kind of go back and forth between the two of them. But when then, when we were on Hello Sunday morning, that was only that was before apps, so it was only on the the computer. So that was what I was used to at that time. And, and then be musings is booze where musing. booze. Oh yeah, booze. See, <laughs> I, you can't stand saying that. It's <laughs> booze musings. Yeah, booze. How did I say it? Be booze, you say be musings. Yeah, booze yeah. musings. Right, booze musings. Then it kind of go through your nose like booze, and it, it's fun. It is. It is. And, and you have, there's so many articles there. I just can't believe. And then that I, every, everybody I see, I even put it up in the, I am sober. Unplugging from the alcohol matrix by Maggie D. Right? Maggie doodles Our Maggie doodles. Maggie doodles. I mean, that is just, Oh, I finally got to talk to her too. And it was amazing conversation. Is there going to be a podcast? I hope I would love to. Hear yeah. That. We're going to get, we're going to get together because Great. She's high energy like you. And, you know, we love sobriety and we love giving back and helping people. Look, I've lived in those trenches. My brother died in those trenches. We have, you have lived in those trenches, man. I, you are a hero. You really and are. We want people out of those trenches and everybody's yep. bottoms different. Mine, mine went in a different direction, but then we, we have like Meg star. She's, you know, a, a realtor that got sober early, like, you she didn't wait until she was under a park bench or in prison or living under a freeway yeah and and let me tell you something wingy you're the majority i'm the minority this is what i I yeah it's everybody thinks so many people out there like me and it's it's just you know we're the silent majority um and we're the majority that thinks that we're the only one you know i mean it's really there are so many people out there middle-aged people who look like they're doing fine and they're raising families and they're uh, holding down jobs and all that kind of stuff. And they're drinking themselves to death and they're drinking themselves miserable. That's the thing that, you know, you don't, you don't even realize that you're drinking yourself miserable because you think that the only pleasure in life is the alcohol. But the reason that the only pleasure in life is the alcohol is because you're drinking. (laughs) When you get the alcohol out of the picture, you know, and you're being manipulated out. to drink. Yeah. And it's the matrix. Yeah, that's the matrix. That's Maggie Doodle's and, matrix. And we're going to keep hammering with Sobertown on the matrix and the way we're manipulated. And and I'm, I'm hoping a couple of ladies get into this breast cancer real soon because there there's a huge lie. This is, oh. a, car, this is a carcinogen that causes you know, specifically breast cancer, increasing the estrogen with women. Yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you a too much, you want a too much information moment? Sure. (laughs) I'll get a little bit racy on the podcast. Um, The thing about how alcohol affects your hormones is something that they don't talk about. You know, it's something that nobody knows about. You know, we all know, okay, well, alcohol is bad for you, blah, blah, blah. Alcohol causes cancer, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, we know these things, but the, the thing about the hormones is something that people don't regularly understand. And one of the reasons that there's such a big difference in how people look when they stop drinking is because you stop artificially 
altering your hormones. So I got to, I think it was 30 days or three months. I can't remember. Um, but I was walking with a friend and we were talking about it a little bit and my breasts had changed in the strangest way. They had been hard, you know, like big melons. Like they were, they were like hard. And a few months after I stopped drinking, they just became really soft and feminine. You know, it wasn't like saggy baggy or anything. It was just soft. And my shoulders changed and my upper, everything just kind of, I started to look more feminine because my hormones were kind of settling into where they were supposed to be. So I lost that kind of, um, oh gosh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of an upper body squareness that, that I had been getting um, with, it was sort of hulky. Um, and it just disappeared and it had nothing to do with diet and it had nothing to do with exercise. It was just that my, my body kind of settled into its natural hormonal balance. But the thing with my breast was really upsetting because I had had a couple mammograms leading up to when I stopped drinking the last two that I had had where they had said, okay, we need to go back and do that mammogram again. No, we need to go back and do it again because we think we see something. No, we don't quite see something, but okay, we want you back in six months. And there was the beginnings of calcification. And within two years of stopping drinking, that was all gone. It was all gone. And they're completely normal now. And, you know, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I hope I smoked for 35 years and I drank like a fish for, you know, 25 years. Um, there's always the chance that, you know, one of those cancers could. Well, I, I want but, to bring this specifically to attention on sober town and, and everybody that will talk about it. I even went on Susan G Coleman's website and she talks about alcohol on there. And then there's the live from the alcohol industry that two or three is fine. That's a lie. It's bullshit. Yeah. They've, they've got oh, these facts up. That's fine. That's <laughs> fine. But here's the thing. That's a lie. Proof is out here that zero is the only way that you're going to uh, reduce your risk of breast cancer is having zero drinks. Yeah. Yeah. And in order to get to the, the, the thing is with, with um, the relationship between alcohol and cancer, and all of the physical damage that alcohol does to us, people continue to drink, even though they know those things. And the reason that we continue to drink is because we are absolutely convinced that alcohol gives more than it takes away. And, we, and we're convinced that we need to drink in order to enjoy our lives. And the thing that was such a huge revelation to me was how much more I enjoyed my life when I stopped drinking than I had when I was drinking. And I never expected that to happen. I really thought that I was giving something up and then I was going to be missing it for the rest of my life. That's why, you know, sober forever is such a specter for most of us. You know, it's just a, oh, a ball and chain kind of idea. And, and it turned out to be quite the opposite for me, you know, and, and you wrote um, about that. I was just reading about that on one of your uh, articles that you had written that what was I going to do when I quit drinking? Yeah. Yeah. How was I going to um, have fun? How was I going to have fun? How was I going to experience joy? How was I going to tap into my creativity? It was a big one for me because I was a musician. I'm very artistic. I'm very creative. And I really felt like, you know, the alcohol fueled that. And it was the opposite, actually. Sober, I'm so much more creative than I was 
when I was drinking, you know, and I follow through. I don't just imagine, I do it, which is. So you've stepped into the promised land. I have. (laughs) (laughs) And you didn't need Moses either. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, I can be quite, I can be quite annoying about it, I guess, sometimes. No, I love it. I love it. Look, we need to speak live, sharing live, because people are waking up and they're waking up in shame, guilt, remorse, and they're waking up in tears. And we have to keep talking about it. And no matter how we want them, we want them to have an opportunity to wake up to joy. Exactly. Simply by, you know, and it's not just, it's this, you know, it's the simplest thing in the world, but I remember all those years that I couldn't do it. Of course, if you stop drinking, you're going to save money. Of course, if you stop drinking, you're going to be healthier. Of course, if you stop drinking, you're not going to fight with your partner so much. Of course, if you stop drinking, your kids are going to be happier. All of those things are so obvious to us, even when we're drinking. But there's this thing that holds on to you. That yeah, it's, is it's called belief. It's an elephant in your head, right? Yeah. It's, an un, it's an untrained elephant in your head that's spoiled rotten that we've never trained. But check this out. With neuroplasticity, we can use our conscious mind wingy and we can train that elephant to where it doesn't want that anymore right but you don't have to think about neuroplasticity that's really heavy right now just stop drinking find a community whether it's (laughs) i am sober or whether it's boom rethink the drink or whether it's aa whatever it is find a community and start talking and stop drinking and that's when the regeneration of your brain begins it does day one day one day one Thank you all for joining us. Wingy, thank you. It's always a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Yeah. And remember, you guys, SilvertownPodcast.com. Boom. Rethink the drink. And remember, pour the poison down the sink.